All right. Can uh, can y'all hear me through the sound system? You can kind of hear me. You can. Okay. You can't hear me. You can. Okay. So mic check. Mic check. One two one two. I would spit a few bars for y'all, but I don't think y'all. I don't think y'all ready for that. I think y'all ready for that? My the the musicians know know I got bars. They know. They know I got bars. They they've experienced it before. Did somebody just say sure? Like sure. <laughs> All right. I think I think this is I think this is fine. Is it kind of echoing though? No. Maybe it's because I hear the monitor. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool.
Good morning. Uh, so happy to see you all this morning. Uh, we want to welcome you to the Village Church where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus in all things. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. If you're one of our guests uh, today, we want to welcome you. Uh, there, there are guest information cards located outside the sanctuary doors in the narthex. That's our little foyer area right outside the sanctuary. Uh, if you're a guest, uh, please fill out one and drop it off in the basket right next to the, um, to the cards themselves. And we look forward to connecting with you. As many of you know, our senior pastor, uh, Reverend Alex Shipman, continues his sabbatical. If you have any questions or concerns, uh, please contact uh, one of our other elders. But also continue to keep uh, Pastor Alex and his family in your prayers. Uh, we want to remind all of our families today that our nursery is open. And it's up and running and has been uh, for the past few Sundays. So if you would like to uh, get uh, check your children into child care that is available for you as members and as guests. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. So you may give to the vision and mission of the church by using the link on our webpage, and that is www.enterthevillage.net forward slash give. You can also mail a check to our physical address, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811, or after the gathering, you can drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. So our village uh, kids and our village uh, youth will meet today and uh, the 24th, the 31st, and November 7th, immediately after worship, and lunch will be provided to them. Uh, Robert Blevins will be conducting the second session of the deacon and mercy ministry training uh, on tonight at 6 p.m. and that is open uh, to all of the members of the village church on october 20 uh, october 20th through oh yeah okay sorry i misread that on october 20th the third wednesday of the month corporate prayer will be at 6 p.m at the church and also via zoom and also save this date, November 14th, we will uh, celebrate our church's anniversary. Uh, so be on the lookout for more details for that. Those are your announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. Good morning. Would you please join with me uh, as we take a few moments to prepare our hearts and minds for worship today?
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy and I will sing and make music to the Lord.
Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. And I will sing of your goodness. I will sing of your love. If you would please stand with me for our call to worship. Our call to worship is taken um, from a portion of the song, God of Wonders. Please join with me where it notes congregation. Lord of all creation, of the water, earth, and sky, the heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy. Amen? Amen. Life. 
Scripture reading this morning from Matthew 27, and these are the events after the crucifixion and before our Lord's resurrection. Hear God's word, starting in verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. 
And he rolled a great stone in the, to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said when he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. That's our first reading this morning. We know what happened after that, anyway. Um, for our confession of sin this morning, I'm reading Romans 8, 7 and 8. And we'll have a time of silent confession after that. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's have a time of silent confession now. For we have fallen short this week of sins and omission and commission. Uh, where we've thought things we shouldn't have thought and been in places we shouldn't have been. Uh, anyway, let's have a time of silent confession. Father, thank you that we can come to you and confess, and you are willingly forgive us as we confess our sins. Uh, we can't hide from you. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here are these words of assurance from Romans 8. Uh, it's part of the resurrection power that we have. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Will you please stand with me?
Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace.
Good morning, everyone. Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, you are indeed worthy. You are worthy of our worship and praise. And not just our worship and praise here in this church or even in this nation. But, Lord, your word says that you are so worthy that you will receive worship and praise from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And, Lord, I'm reminded of the 37,000 Afghans that recently arrived to the United States with more to follow. Lord, you are worthy of receiving worship and prayers from individuals who are alive and breathing now, who have uh, identified with Islam in the past. But, Lord, we pray you draw them to yourself. Lord, we pray for our pastor, Alex, during his sabbatical. We pray that you grant him correction, rest, and rejuvenation so that he can continue to serve you and serve in this church. Lord, we thank you for recently departed believers, those whom many of us have had an opportunity to, to love, be loved by, to fellowship with, and to learn from. We're grateful that you've allowed our lives to intersect with theirs. Lord, we, th- we pray for the sick among us, both in our congregation and our loved ones. We pray for healing, whether you choose natural or supernatural means. And Lord, when you choose not to heal, we ask for grace to walk beside them and to encourage and pray for and be with them as they, yes, suffer in this life. Lord, we pray that you enable us to be good stewards, both of in our personal lives and collective as a congregation, to be the stewards over our time, our talents, and our resources, and that, Lord, we can be uh, encouraged and even convicted by passages in the Old and New Testament. I think of Malachi 3.10 and Luke chapter 6, 37 and 8, where you both encourage us and challenge us to reflect you in, in showing generosity. And Lord, we pray for Amos as he prepares to deliver the sermon today. We pray that you work through your, the power of your spirit and the words that you've placed on his mind and in his heart. And that, Lord, you also prepare our hearts and minds to receive. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's, uh, the continuum of this morning's passage comes from Matthew chapter 8, 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great, correction, behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, 
do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, where you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and to correction, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were, we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This ends the the reading of the scripture for this morning. Thank you. God on this morning. Yeah, there we go. I got some sound now. Mm. It's the same in the in the black church where I was born and bred. That when I think about the goodness of Jesus, and all He's done for me. My soul cries out. Hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. If you only understood what your posture was and what your disposition and your position before God was before he saved you, you couldn't help. You couldn't help but praise a God who would take on flesh. And died not for his friends, but for his enemies. That while you were yet in your trespasses and your sins, the Lord Jesus was gracious enough to die for you. My brothers and sisters, 
this passage that we're going to cover today has brought me so much joy over this week because this is the Christian Super Bowl. My brothers and sisters, we, we have almost made it to the end of this great gospel. We've finally made it to one of the most important events in the Christian faith, the resurrection. My brothers and sisters, the Christian faith is completely dependent upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, that Christians are most to be pitied above all, above anyone else, if the resurrection is not true. But my brothers and sisters, it is true. Anthems of praise have been written to help the church to exult in the wonder of the resurrection. We have a Christian holiday that is centered on the the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In faithful churches, the resurrection is proclaimed and celebrated week after week. The truth of the resurrection vivifies our faith and calls the church to action. And my brothers and sisters, there is no gospel. There is no good news without the resurrection. Where would we be if Jesus was still in the grave? I shudder to imagine a world without a resurrected Savior. So my brothers and sisters, as we work through our passage today, I want us to take every moment that we can to thank God that the Lord Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. Let's pray. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, speak, Lord. Amen. Our passage today, it begins with the introduction of A very peculiar character. Our passage today starts with the introduction of Joseph of Arimathea. If you know our passage today, begins in verse 57. So let's look at verse number 57 of of Matthew chapter 27 together. And it says, when it was evening, there came a man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. This is the first time in the entire Gospel of Matthew that Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned. He's described as a rich man. Now, the Greek word for rich is often used negatively. In the New Testament, but it serves a different purpose for our passage today. Joseph had significant financial means. Let me put that 
in layman's terms so I can make it plain. Joseph didn't just have money. He had money, money. Joseph wasn't just balling. Joseph was balling, balling. But Joseph used his significant financial resources for the glory of God. Joseph is described as a rich man, but he's also described as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Luke's gospel describes Joseph of Arimathea as a good and righteous man. Joseph was a follower of Jesus, which made him a rich man who entered the kingdom of God. So in the words of Matthew 19, verse 24, Joseph is an example of a camel who squeezed through the eye of a needle. Joseph serves as a witness to the power, the miraculous power of God. And his inclusion in the kingdom of God proves that with God, all things are possible. Now, Joseph's wealth would have afforded him the ability to afford things that other people couldn't afford. Now, my brothers and sisters... I want you to remember that because that's going to be important later. But Luke's gospel also tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin council. So as we move through our passage in verse 58, we know that Joseph was a rich disciple of the Lord Jesus, who was also a good and righteous man, who also was a member of the Sanhedrin council, and who also had direct access to Pontius Pilate. Now, my brothers and sisters, I know we're just at the very beginning, but there are so many significant points that are already converging within these first two verses that it's hard to contain my excitement. Because within these first two verses, we can already see how God, the sovereign God of the universe, is already at work behind the scenes, supernaturally ordaining everything that is going to take place. And so in verse 58, Joseph goes before Pilate to retrieve Jesus' corpse. Now, the ESV translation tells us that Pilate ordered the body to be given to Joseph. But this should be understood as Pilate commanding Jesus' corpse to be yielded to Joseph. In other words, Jesus' corpse had to be yielded over to Joseph because they likely had no intention to hand over the body of Jesus to anyone. Now this is significant because of the cruelty of Roman crucifixion. In ancient Rome, crucified criminals would be left on their crosses to rot until the vultures and beasts and insects came and started to feast on the decaying flesh. Now, these rotten and mangled corpses of criminals would likely also have been buried in common graves along with the corpses of other rotten and mangled unrecognizable criminals. 
these corpses, again, would have been rotten beyond recognition. And my brothers and sisters, Jesus' corpse would have likely suffered a similar fate if Joseph of Arimathea doesn't go and ask Pilate to turn over the body to him. Y'all going to catch it later. Because this is another significant point that you need to keep in mind. Jesus was executed as a criminal, so his body would have suffered the same fate of most criminals if Joseph, a rich follower of Jesus, didn't go and retrieve the body. Now, I told you to keep in mind that Joseph's incredible wealth would have given him the ability to afford things that other people couldn't afford. One of those things was his own personal tomb. Let's look at verses 59 through 60. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Now, ancient Jewish religious culture was passionate about burying the dead. It was actually against Jewish law to leave people unburied. That'll be significant later. But it was not typical for most people to own the type of burial chamber that is described here. This was the type of thing that was reserved only for rich people. This was the Mercedes Benz of grave sites. This was the BMW of burial chambers. And save for being buried as a king or a prominent ruler, there was likely no better burial arrangement that could be made. So Joseph puts Jesus in his own new tomb. Now Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is now buried in a tomb of his own, all alone, not in a common grave, but all alone, where there would be no mistaking where he was buried, and where there would be no mistaking that it was, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth who was buried there. Now, those facts may not do anything for you, but I can assure you that they prove that the sovereign God is at work here. Again, keep all of these things in mind as we continue through this passage, because they're going to be important in the end. Now, verse number 61 tells us that two women named Mary accompanied Joseph to the tomb. Let's look at verse 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there, uh, were there sitting opposite the tomb. And my brothers and sisters, we know this, that God uses the most unconventional characters for his glory. God doesn't choose Saul's to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes he chooses David's because he wants to make it clear that he is the one who is accomplishing his purposes and plans. I've heard it this way. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. Now in our passage, God uses a not so typical rich Jewish leader and he uses two women. And we know that during this period of time, the testimony of women would have been undervalued. So the testimony of women wouldn't actually look that good during this period of time. 
But our God was not concerned with the optics. He was concerned with his glory. So he sovereignly ordained that these two faithful sisters would be present in this moment for his glory and for his purposes. They are perfect candidates for God's miraculous power to be shown. Now, these two faithful sisters will return to the story again a little bit later. But my brothers and sisters, just like these two faithful servants of the Lord Jesus, you all are perfect candidates for God's miraculous power to be shown in you. Because God can take our little bit and do a whole lot with it. If God, if the Lord Jesus can take two fish and five loaves of bread and feed thousands of people, he can use the little bit of what you got for his glory. So in verses 62 through 66, uh, the scene shifts from Jesus' tomb to a gathering of the council where we find the Jewish leaders scheming and plotting yet again. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they want to be done with this Jesus issue once and for all. So they gather with Pilate to make a request. In verse 63, they recall the words of the Lord Jesus. Let's look at verse 63. They said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Now, they refer to Jesus as a fraud, but Matthew is using irony here. So don't miss the irony, because who is really the fraud? Isn't it funny that the religious leaders brought Jesus up on trumped up charges about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days? But verse 63 shows that they clearly understood that he was talking about his physical resurrected body. Again, who's the fraud? And in verse 64, the religious leaders tell Pilate to secure Jesus' tomb until after the third day to prevent the theft of Jesus' corpse. And Pilate grants their request. And in verse 66, in verse 66 tells us that they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Jesus' dead body was now in a tomb, not in a common grave, but all alone, and the tomb was sealed. A stone had been rolled in front of the entrance, and it was heavily guarded by war-built Roman soldiers. For all of the scheming and plotting that is going on here, they didn't realize that they were setting themselves up for a disaster. They were so blind that they were trying to stop something supernatural from happening with natural means. And my brothers and sisters, you don't want to find yourself on the opposite side of the ring with the king of the universe. You can't stop God's plan. Many have tried, but they all failed. And so as Matthew's gospel moves into 
chapter 28, the scene changes again. And we go back to uh, the grave of the Lord Jesus. It is now the day after the Sabbath in chapter 28, verse number 1. Let's look at verse number 1 together. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, went to see the tomb. As I, as I told you, our faithful sisters have returned to the story, and they are headed to the tomb where Jesus was laid to rest, likely to complete the burial rites. And as they are making their way to the tomb, listen to what happens in verse number 2. And behold... There was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. My Lord. The angel of the Lord causes an earthquake that rolls the stone away from the entrance of the tomb, and then he sits on top of it. Now, the the angel sitting on the stone is the ultimate display of God's power, of his authority. This is like conquering a land and planting the flag in the middle of the city. This is like conquering a kingdom and then sitting on the king's throne. Some of y'all going to understand this. This is like somebody beating you in spades at your own house. Because what was meant to contain the king of kings is now just a seat for one of his angels. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said. Now come, see the place where he lay. I want you to notice something here. There is no mention of a scuffle between the guards and the angels. Matthew writes the account as if the angel doesn't even interact with with the guards at all. He doesn't even care that they are there. The guards are subdued from so subdued from fear to the point that they trembled and and became incapacitated like dead men. Now, there's 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 an interesting play on words here in the in the original language, because the Greek word for earthquake in verse number two is the same exact Greek word used in verse four to describe how bad the guards were trembling. These soldiers weren't just scared. They were scared, scared. These guards were left to tremble in fear. But let's look at what happened to our our faithful sisters. They were comforted by the angel of the Lord and told not to fear. And the angel redirects their fear to something else that's going to bring them unspeakable joy. The empty tomb. 
The stone is rolled away and there is no corpse inside. And the angel tells them the tomb is empty because the Lord Jesus is alive again. Now, there are some who look at this passage and believe that Jesus had already supernaturally exited the tomb prior to the stone being rolled away. I'm not sure if that's what Matthew is trying to communicate here. The, the exegesis of that may be off a little bit, but the intuition is spot on. Matthew is showing us here that a stone and a seal and some Roman guards were never going to stop the Lord Jesus from coming out of that grave. So the stone, my Lord, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could walk out. The stone was rolled away primarily so the Marys could look in. The stone was rolled away so that now we can forever look and behold an empty tomb. Jesus has risen and the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, Jesus is vindicated as Messiah and Lord. Because the tomb is empty, we can sit here as brothers and sisters and rejoice in the resurrection. Because the tomb is empty, we can celebrate that the resurrection is true. Because the tomb is empty, we can rejoice and hold fast to every promise that the Lord has made to us, his children. In verses 7 through 10, these faithful women are given possibly the greatest privilege in the Christian faith. Let's look at verses 7 through 10 together. And the angel says to them, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. These Faithful women are the first to hear and they are the first to share the good news. And they are the first to see the empty tomb. What excitement these women must have felt as they were being commissioned to go out to share the good news with their brothers. Now, Matthew does his best to describe the emotion of the moment for these women in verse 8 by saying they ran from the tomb with both fear and great joy. But what was good news in verse 7 and 8 becomes even greater news in verse 9. Because as they are running to tell their brothers about the empty tomb, they encounter the resurrected Lord Jesus along the way. So these faithful women now have the privilege of being the first people to see the resurrected Lord in the faith. And look at their response. Their response was worship. 
Something remarkable happens in that moment. Jesus allows himself to be worshipped. Now, this response of the Lord Jesus is something that is reserved for God alone. And Jesus accepts their worship because Jesus is God. And so in verses 11 through 15, the scene switches to yet another plot by the chief priests. Let's look at verses 11 through 15 together. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. That dog don't hunt right there. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now These verses show us the reality that some people aren't going to believe the gospel no matter what happens. I'm reminded of the story of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke 16. After lifting up his eyes in hell, the rich man asks Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead to warn his brothers about the torment that he was facing in hell. And Abraham tells the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So after hearing the report of the guard, the chief priest's response wasn't to repent and believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Their response was to come up with another scheme to protect their reputation. But again, Matthew, the master of irony, puts on a clinic of irony for us in these verses. The very narrative that the religious leaders schemed to try to prevent in chapter 27, verses 62 through 66, is the same exact story that they're using to protect their reputation. They tried to prevent the theft of Jesus' corpse, but then they lie and say that Jesus' body was stolen. What? Now, this shows us that these men would stoop to any level. They were corrupt, and they proved that they were of their father, the devil, just like Jesus said they were in John chapter 8. Also, think about this. And this, this overcooks my grits, but just think, think about this for a second. Where did the council get the money to pay Judas and these guards? They took the money that was intended for the temple to support their lawless scheme. This is like the government taking your tax money to fund senseless wars and personal vendettas. Y'all got quiet on me. Sorry, that was too political. This would be like your pastor stealing your tithe money to fund a criminal enterprise. These were some evil men who would stop at nothing to maintain their status. So instead of repenting and coming to faith in Christ, they doubled down and ensured that the judgment that Jesus prophesied back in chapter 24 would surely happen. 
But even though they created this rumor that spread among the Jews, their explanation of what Jesus of what happened to Jesus corpse is riddled with unexplainable questions. You mean all of these guards were in front of the tomb and they rolled the stone away and make that make sense to me without the guards waking up. I just don't see how that would be possible. But there's an even greater reality that even though these rumors spread throughout uh, Jerusalem, it did not spread. It did not stop the spread of the gospel. So now I want to go back and tie up some of those loose ends that I created kind of toward the beginning and, and, and through the body of the sermon. I told you to keep a few things in mind. Uh, but just in case you forgot, I want to remind you of a few things. If at any point after the tomb was found empty, the Jewish leaders were able to produce a body, the Christian faith would have been dead, would have ended right there. But let me show you a few things that demonstrate how God was sovereignly at work ordaining the events surrounding the resurrection. Again, the Lord Jesus was convicted and executed as a criminal. The Roman state would have left Jesus' corpse on the cross to rot and decay and to be devoured by birds and beasts. They would have also thrown Jesus' unrecognizable mangled corpse into a common grave with other executed criminals. But God foreordained in Jewish law and culture that it was unlawful to be left unburied. God also foreordained that a rich disciple, a rich disciple named Joseph would have a tomb where the Lord Jesus corpse would be laid. Now, this is actually prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 verse 9 which says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So God ordained that the Lord Jesus would be taken from the cross before his body became decayed and unrecognizable. God also foreordained Joseph to have a new tomb so that Jesus' body would be unmistakably placed in a specific location. If Jesus' decayed, unrecognizable corpse was thrown into a common grave, the Roman officials and the Jewish religious leaders could have pulled any old body out of the common grave and said, See here, this is the body of Jesus. And the text proves that they were willing to stoop to any level to protect their reputation. But since the Lord Jesus was in a tomb all by himself and the tomb was empty, they couldn't pull any old corpse out of the ground and pretend that it was the Lord Jesus. They couldn't produce a body because the Lord Jesus got up and walked out of the grave. My brothers and sisters, that proves to us that the Lord Jesus is alive. And if Jesus can raise from the grave, if God can raise the Lord Jesus from death, 
There is nothing too hard for God. Some people get slipped up about some of the stories in the Bible. How could Jonah be swallowed up by a fish? How could people walk through a sea on dry land? But if God can raise the Lord Jesus from the dead. See, y'all think death is something, it's not that big, big of a deal. But if George Washington walked into this room right now and we knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was George Washington, all of your minds would be blown. The Lord Jesus was in the grave for three days and God raised the Lord Jesus from death. So if he can do that, Jonah is easy. The exodus is easy with God. All things are possible. There is nothing too hard for God. And I'm reminded of how they used to say it back at the old black church that I came from. God can do anything but fail. So my brothers and sisters, you can put your hope, you can put your faith, you can put your trust in a true resurrected Savior. Because the tomb is empty. And we can celebrate the fact and the, the, the truth and the reality that he walked out of the grave. And I'm super excited that we will get to see in the verses coming next Sunday that this resurrected Lord who rose with all authority does something very peculiar with this authority that he had. And just to kind of foreshadow what he does, he gives that authority to his church so my brothers and sisters take courage take faith in your resurrected Lord let's pray God we thank you that the tomb is empty we can forever behold an empty tomb. That's good news. That's the best news. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't stay dead. And we thank you that we now, as your children, have resurrection life, resurrection power at work in our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray now in this moment, if there is anyone who is here or anyone who may by chance hear these words, who has not experienced this resurrection life at work in their life, I pray that even now, Spirit, you would start the work of regeneration through the truth of the gospel. God, I thank you. I thank you that now we get to turn our gaze toward your means, your means of grace that you have given us. That we get to partake in the, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Which is a tangible way, a a tangible reminder, a, a tangible participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So God, we thank you.
we give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So now as we turn our attention to the Lord's table, we want to extend an invitation to all those who have made a profession of faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have, uh, this is the Lord Jesus' invitation to partake uh, in his death, his burial, and resurrection. Uh, So we welcome you uh, to uh, partake in the supper with us. Uh, Now, if you are here and you haven't uh, been uh, distributed uh, one of the uh, elements uh, package, please raise your hand and we will have one of our officers to uh, bring them to you. Now, uh, this is a means of grace. What that means is that uh, God administers his grace to his beloved children in a special way uh, through this supper. And so we want to take this moment and rejoice as a covenant family to do this in remembrance of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Uh, And children, uh, we pray that one day our covenant children will come to faith and be able to participate in this supper with us. Now the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 uh, warns us of the great danger of taking these uh, elements in an unworthy manner. And so uh, I I pray that you would examine yourself uh, before we partake in these elements. And if you are not yet a believer, we pray that uh, we ask that you would abstain uh, from the elements, allow them to pass you by. But uh, we we will be praying continuously that the Lord Jesus through his spirit uh, would bring that resurrection life uh, to you. Uh, Has everyone been served? Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Triune God, we, we give you thanks for the finished work that you have done in the lives of all of your children. God, we lift up these elements, this uh, this bread and this wine, and we ask that uh, they would uh, go from a, a, a carnal use to a spiritual use, that they would provide the spiritual nourishment that you promised to us as your children. Lord, help us to be lifted up into the heavenlies as we feast on Christ by faith. And God, we give you thanks for this this meal, this supper, which you have given to us as your children uh, as, a means of, as a means of grace. God, we thank you in this moment. We give you praise, glory, and honor. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it gave it to his disciples as I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you all today. And he said, take, eat. 
This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, and having given thanks, as has been done in his name, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for this meal. And we thank you for, again, the promise of grace that it signifies and seals to us as your children. And so, God, again, we give you praise. We give you glory and honor. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen.
All right, good people, let's receive the Lord's benediction to his beloved people as we go out into our world as the salt and light that he has made us to be. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Please go in grace.